This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm super excited. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Lisa Radasta, who's a board-certified veterinary behaviorist, and she's the owner of Florida Veterinary Behavior Service. Dr. Radasta, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about some of the topics to do with critical care and and fear-free and behavior. Wonderful. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have Dr. Radasta introduce herself, and we're going to talk about how we can minimize the stress for your dog or cat when they go into the emergency room or when they go to the veterinarian. We'll be right back with Dr. Lisa Radasta right after these messages. Listeners, I'd love to introduce you to PetPlate.com. They deliver freshly cooked human-grade dog food right to your door. I'm talking about dog food that is so high quality that even us humans could technically eat it. I've been feeding Pet Plate to my pup for the last two weeks, and it's perfect for my picky pup and perfect for me since I'm so busy. So if you want something super healthy, really tasty, and ready to serve, go to PetPlate.com forward slash spot to get 30% off your first box. Once again, that's PetPlate.com forward slash spot to get 30% off your first box. P-E-T-P-L-A-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're really excited to have Dr. Lisa Radasta, who's a board-certified veterinary behaviorist. And I'm going to have her introduce herself, but for those of you guys who don't know her, she lectures internationally. She's really famous. She's authored a lot of books. She's published a bunch of scientific articles in the Journal of Applied Animal Behavior Science and the Veterinary Journal. And she's also been published in Cat Fancy, Dog Fancy, Clinician's Brief, The Sun Sentinel, The Washington Post, WebMD, appears on Lifetime Television, lots of news and radio. So really excited to have you on today. Thank you for having me. I guess let me tell you a couple things about myself. So most people, and sometimes even veterinarians, don't know what I do. And they make really cute jokes about, you know, do the dogs lie on the couch and tell you how they feel? No, they don't. But a veterinary behaviorist is a veterinary psychiatrist, basically. And so what we deal with are the disorders that affect the quality of life of the animal. So we don't deal with, let's say, dogs who jump on people when they come in the house. We deal with dogs that, or cats that bite people that are visiting. So more severe problems. And we have a philosophy in my service, uh, FVBS, of educating veterinarians and lay people. That's part of our mission statement. And so you'll find on our website a ton of articles that you can use for your clients and patients. And then one thing we just started, which I'm really excited about, is a telemedicine doctor-to-doctor consult service. And there's nothing else like it. So we're hoping it will help patients who can't get help. 
you know, those of you that live in states that don't have veterinary behaviorists and it allows your patient to get the help it needs. That's fantastic. Just because from my understanding, there's less than 100 board certified veterinary behaviorists in the United States. That's correct, right? Yeah, there's 78. And in some states like North Dakota, Idaho, Wyoming, you're lucky, you know, to have a veterinary behaviorist even in the next state. So we're hoping that we can get veterinarians to use this service in order to help those patients. And we've made it unlike any other service for behavior in that it looks like all of those consult services you do with other companies where it's short and sweet, you submit online and you get back one to two pages, not 10 pages of information. So we're hopeful that this can help some of those patients in those states without help. Wonderful. And just so our pet owners know a little bit more about you, I understand you're based out of Florida. And I was wondering if you could give a little bit of background about where you went to veterinary school, where you did your residency. And then if you could tell us the difference between a veterinary behaviorist and a dog or an animal trainer, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a gator. I went to U of F for my DVM, for my veterinary degree. And then I did my residency at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And, you know, the difference between a veterinary behaviorist and a dog trainer is the difference between, let's say, a human surgeon and a massage therapist. So meaning that one's a doctor and one's not, so that's a basic difference. The other is that we are trained to diagnose and to treat more serious problems, maybe in a more advanced way, right? So we have access to techniques and knowledge that a dog trainer wouldn't have. And so I have some great partners that are dog trainers, and I refer really daily to them. And I want to refer to them the cases that are obedience-based, unruly behaviors, not aggressive or anxiety-related behaviors, but ones that are obedience-based, unruly, puppy socialization, all of that stuff. And we want people to get out there and see trainers. But if your pet has a cat or dog has a serious problem, then you're going to want to see your veterinarian first and then seek help from a veterinary behaviorist. And that veterinary behaviorist may then in the treatment of your pet, go ahead and refer to a qualified trainer in your area. But what we don't want to see is that people are headed first to the trainer. We want to get them first to their vet and then get proper help where the trainer is a part of that entire team. Wonderful. Now, from my understanding, when dogs and cats come into the emergency room, obviously, it's very, very acute. They oftentimes don't have time to sedate their pet before they come in. But in general practice, I know you've been working with something called Fear Free. And you actually have a book on this that you've co-authored with Marty Becker, a few other people. And it's called From Fearful to Fear Free. Do you mind just telling us what this program is and how we can minimize anxiety and fear for dogs and cats that are going to a veterinarian or an emergency veterinarian? Absolutely. I'm extremely excited about Fear Free because we all believe in it, but we didn't have a name and we didn't have momentum until Fear Free came along. The mission of Fear Free is to make life great for pets at the veterinary office. That's really what it's about. It's about reducing the stress and the fear and anxiety that cats and dogs feel when they go to the veterinarian's office. And now with fear-free, happy homes, we are trying to reduce the fear, anxiety, and stress at home. And so when you go to the primary care veterinarian, you do have time to prepare usually. Sometimes there's an emergency, but you do have time to prepare. And so as a pet parent, you're going to want to talk to your veterinarian about the stress you 
perceive in your pet, you are the best person to say if your pet's stressed and talk to them about ways that you can relieve that anxiety beforehand. Pheromones, medications, traveling with your pet's bed, traveling with your cat in a carrier that allows your veterinarian to take the top off instead of reach in and extract your cat or dump your cat onto the exam table. So all those things you can do at home. You know, the ER presents kind of a special situation. And as a veterinarian, I'm privileged to work at a really big hospital with 40 some doctors and every specialty you could want. And so our ER is hopping all the time, really 24 seven, it's hopping. And so I get to see the struggles in the ER from a veterinary point of view in that, and from a client point of view, you know, one is that we use a lot of food in Fear Free because food makes pets happy and it brings down the stress level. We love that. But you can't always use food if you have a patient in a critical situation. Number one, they probably won't eat because their stress is up. And also because you may have to anesthetize that patient. And so we use techniques that involve restraint in a gentle way. Just something as simple as having a, a rubber mat on the exam table instead of dumping that pet onto a table that is slick and cold where they're slipping and sliding and feel insecure. So a rubber mat with a blanket on top or a towel on top, restraining in a way that is kind and requires a little bit of slower care, but can work just as well as any other kind of restraint. And as a pet parent, I would love to see pet parents if they suspect at all that their pet has any aggression, snapping, biting, growling at the vet, that they muzzle train their dog. And I understand the stigma, and that's an entire radio show in and of itself, but that is a gift to your pet because your pet will never be denied medical care because of their behavior if you walk in with their own muzzle and are able to put that muzzle on. And that's that's a gift to walk in and say, Dr. Lee, my Pet's critical, but let me just, can I just put this muzzle on and I can do it right here, right now, and then you can treat my pet and do whatever you need instead of Dr. Lee having to somehow get a muzzle on or provide poor care or endanger you, the pet parent or her staff, in order to get the pet treated. So I'd love to see that happen from a, a pet parent point of view. That's fantastic. I think it's especially hard in the ER just because oftentimes, pet owners bring their dog or their cat in immediately. And I will honestly disclose, just like how your clinic is really busy, the specialty emergency clinic that I work at, honestly, you're probably going to wait an hour, up to three hours, especially if it's a holiday. So knowing that there might be a wait, if you already know that your dog or cat becomes aggressive or anxious, it's worth talking to your veterinarian about having certain medications at home that you can give orally one to two hours before you even go to the veterinarian, the groomer, or the emergency veterinarian. So let's go ahead and take a short break, and then we'll talk about some of those medications when we come back. We'll continue with this really cool topic right after these messages from our sponsors. You know that feeling when you go to clean the litter box and it's a complete disaster? Yeah, we've got you covered. Introducing World's Best Cat Litter Zero Mess, the advanced litter that gives you two times better clumping and more odor control with less litter. Zero Mess combines the concentrated power of corn with super-absorbent plant fibers. Translation, scoop once and you're done. Find it at a pet store near you and save $2. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. 
When Helen Brown ran away to New York City five years ago, she had no idea that a homeless cat with a punk rock haircut and enough catitude to light up the Empire State Building would be the one to teach her the true meaning of love and a forever home. In the tradition of her internationally best-selling memoir, Cleo, Helen Brown's Bono, the amazing story of a rescue cat who inspired a community, is a heartwarming true story about a woman without an anchor a homeless cat without much hope, and finding a forever home in the city that never sleeps. Modern Cat Magazine calls Bono an uplifting tale about how everyone deserves love and a second chance. Bono by Helen Brown is on sale now everywhere. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. back to ER Vet with Dr. Lisa Radasta, a board-certified veterinary behaviorist. Right now, what we're talking about is can we actually use oral medication at home before we go to the veterinarian or the emergency veterinarian to help minimize that stress to your dog or your cat? This is especially important in the ER just because most of the time, pet owners are stressed about going to the ER. It's really stressful. It's the middle of the night. They may not think that they have options in terms of sedation, but if your dog's mostly stable, you can talk to your veterinarian about this. Now, Dr. Radasta, what are some options for dogs versus cats when it comes to medication, and how do we actually talk to our veterinarians or our family veterinarians about getting a prescription for this? I love that you're bringing up this topic because I want to take just one moment to dispel the myths because I hear a lot of, from my pet parents that come to see me with their cats and dogs, frequently I will hear, can't he tough it out? He's fine. You don't have to use cheese, sedate him, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And I want to just remind people that our pets, although they are beloved family members, and if my husband was here, he would say, I love the dog more than him. And I wouldn't disagree. I mean, I love that dog. But we accept that his brain power, my Labrador Retriever's brain power, is about that of a one-year-old child. So when we make statements about our pets, I just want to keep the cognitive ability of those pets in mind. No, they're not going to tough it out. They shouldn't have to tough it out. And one more argument before I talk about meds, because I've met some resistance from my pet parents, is if you're afraid of flying on a plane, if you're afraid of a roller coaster, if you're afraid of the dentist, you probably seek pharmacologic help. The dentist gives you something. You drink a little martini before you get on the plane or you take some Xanax or Benadryl or melatonin. Our pets should get at minimum what we would give ourselves. Some of us would argue they should get better than what I give myself. So there's no problem with medicating your pet to ease anxiety. Human beings do it all the time. So with that said, what are your options? Okay, well, if you have a pet who's going to stay at the veterinarian's office, so not an emergency critical care moment like boarding, you can use a supplement two weeks before. There are great supplements on the market, Zilkeen, Z-Y-L-K-E-N-E and Soliquin are two great ones you can talk to your vet about. If you're going to bring your pet to the veterinarian and it's for an appointment or it's an emergency visit, you're going to want to have something that works faster than a supplement, so a real medication. So for dogs and cats, we have a fantastic 
medication called gabapentin. You can ask your veterinarian about that. And it's really safe, even for kitties and even for older kitties. So that's one you should talk to your veterinarian about. And we have another medication called trazodone, which I would want you to mention to your veterinarian. And that's another kind of sedative medication, but it's not the same as the ones you may be used to historically with your pets where it just zonks them right on their butt and they can't walk for eight hours. It's kind of a happy, sleepy moment. So definitely mention those two. Now, my own cat used to be on gabapentin, and I did this because my cat had pretty significant arthritis, which is often underdiagnosed in cats, and it helped tremendously, but I think even a lot of veterinarians aren't aware of the huge dose range that you can use to help gently sedate your cat. It's super, super safe. So do you mind just talking about the dosing difference for arthritis versus sedation and how often pet owners would have to give this medication before they go to the veterinarian? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I want to make it really clear, thank you for bringing that up, that we need to get the gabapentin in kitties and in dogs for that matter, three hours prior to the appointment. So we know that in kitties especially, that it takes about three hours to get that maximum effect. Kitties are going to get jazzed up about going to the vet as soon as they see the carrier. That could be hours before the pet parent puts their kitty in the carrier and trucks them off to the vet. So we definitely want to get that medication in early. That's a big cause of medication failures is that we're not getting it working quickly enough. So I do see some clinicians RXing out gabapentin at about 10 mg per kilo, two to three times a day. To give you an idea for sedation in dogs and cats, we know we can go a lot higher. So just let's talk about dogs for a moment. We can go as high as 40 mg per kilo, single dose, about three hours prior for sedation and feel really confident that that dose is not going to do harm to our patients. Of course, we don't start at that dose. We usually start at about 20 mix per kilo and work up to the 40 mix per kilo dose. Now for kitties, uh, kitties have a funny dosing, a per cat dosing, right? So we start at 100 milligrams per cat and then go to 200 milligrams per cat. But we know from a recent study done by Dr. Pankratz that you can give a single dose to a kitty without any deleterious effects of about 43 migs per kilo. So we have a lot of range. And I think the more we play with this particular medication for anxiety relief and sedation, I think you'll see those dosing ranges go higher. So I oftentimes feel like I'm educating veterinarians when they're referring cases to the emergency room or to the specialty hospital, because a lot of veterinarians will say, oh, you know, your dog or cat is really sick. I'm going to refer you to Dr. Lee. And oftentimes they don't even know that they can give this oral medication before they send in their patient. So again, not only as a pet owner, should you be potentially requesting this, but you might want to talk to your veterinarian about that option before you're referred. Again, really safe way to help minimize the stress to your dog or to your cat. And again, for my own cat, who was about 10 pounds and was 18 when I started him on the gabapentin, for his arthritis dose, I only used 25 milligrams two to three times a day, but he was really, really anxious when he went to the vet. He became pretty fractious and aggressive, even when I brought him in to get blood work done. And so I would oftentimes give him 100 milligrams the night before in the morning of, and it helped tremendously. So I know the veterinary technicians that I worked with appreciated it, and I know my cat really appreciated it too. So when in doubt, talk to your veterinarian about this. Now, are there any potential side effects from some of these medications? 
Well, of course, with any medication, and I would like to say, I tell my clients, with anything you put in your pet's mouth, there might be a side effect, even if it's natural. And with gabapentin, because we just talked about that, we'll start with that, we are going to see sedation. We usually don't see what's called ataxia, which is that drunken walking, but that could possibly happen. For trazodone, same thing, sedation, but with that, we can sometimes see agitation. So an opposite effect, not hyperactive per se, just irritable and unable to get comfortable. That's rare, but it could happen. Another thing that we'd want to do if we're using trazodone on a regular basis, which is really not what we're talking about today, but let's say we were using it on a regular basis, we would want to do a little liver testing. It doesn't harm the liver, but we can see some changes in enzymes. So we definitely want to baseline if we're going to use trazodone on a daily basis. Wonderful. Thank you. Great information. I will say from an emergency viewpoint, if you think your dog or cat got into something poisonous, please do not give them the medication or any type of sedative before you come into the emergency ER vet. And the main reason why is because if in the event that we have to sedate your dog or cat to induce vomiting or to quote, pump the stomach, we do not want your pet sedate. So the majority of times with emergencies, if your dog is coming in for limping or your cat's coming in for not using the litter box, absolutely. If you know they're anxious or aggressive, you can sedate them or better yet, just call us. And oftentimes our front desk staff will be able to consult with emergency veterinarian to determine if it's safe enough to sedate your pet at home. So again, with poisonings, we don't want to pre-sedate. Or if your dog or cat is already sedate from something else. In other words, if they have internal bleeding, they're really listless, when in doubt in those scenarios, we do not want to sedate. But if it's for something stable, like your dog's limping, when in doubt, you can sedate. So again, when in doubt, check with us. Now, in terms of puppy socialization, I know this talk is mostly about ER visits, but I oftentimes will see a lot of puppies come into the emergency vet, and some of them have an infectious disease called parvovirus, or they have distemper or canine flu. And I was just wondering if you could give us some general guidelines when we take our dogs or our puppies and kittens to our regular veterinarian, we always want to make sure that they're up to date and they're getting their vaccines. And one of the biggest mistakes I see pet owners making is assuming that one or two vaccines protects their pet. Remember, just like if you have a child, they oftentimes have to go in every couple of weeks to go in to get their vaccine. So most of the time we have to vaccinate them every three to four weeks until they're 16 to 20 weeks of age. Now, I know this great study just came out or it's about to come out about the importance of puppy socialization. And so one question I get a lot of the times in the ER is, can I still take my dog to puppy obedience if he's not fully vaccinated? That's a great question. That's an age-old question. And, you know, there's this push-pull because we know in behavioral medicine that if puppies are not socialized, that based on the studies that were done in the 1950s, these are seminal studies where litters were split up. So, you know, litters aren't filled with genetically identical animals, but they're they're from the same litter, right? So they're sisters and brothers. And half of that litter would have been exposed or socialized, as we're going to call it. And half of that litter wasn't. So half of that litter was kept in a building where they just went outside to go to the bathroom and came back in. So pretty close to how a lot of our dogs live down in Miami, where they live in condos, or they live in a big building and they go down to the bathroom, they go back up and we keep them very sheltered until four months. What we know from those studies is that 
once you hit a certain point, it's about at three to four months, dogs are less open to receiving new experiences. And they shift more to a fearful stance when something is new. We know that by about 20 weeks, these puppies aren't normal. That's just the flat out truth. They forget how to play. They are very hard to turn into acceptable pets. So this is serious stuff. This ends up with dogs being euthanized and being relinquished and people coming to us and and having to treat their dogs for years for problems that could have been prevented. On the other hand, parvo and distemper are killers. They're extremely serious. So we don't want a puppy to be exposed to those. So this is what we want you to do. We want you to bring your puppy to the veterinarian and get the first vaccines and deworming. Wait a couple days and get into puppy class. Choose your puppy class very wisely. Puppies need to be indoors. Puppy classes should not be taking part in a puppy class that's being given in a parking lot because that can't be cleaned. We need indoors. You want to ask the owner or the trainer how that facility is cleaned. With what is that facility cleaned and when? Is it at the end of the day or is it between classes? It really needs to be cleaned between classes if there are puppies involved. In other words, if there's an adult dog class and a puppy dog class after or even if there's two puppy classes. We want to be cleaned in between. And we want to make sure that where animals are walked, it is picked up and cleaned and disinfected if possible. When in doubt, walk your puppy off site to urinate and defecate. You want to stay away from where other puppies have urinated and defecated. There is one study that actually looked at the likelihood of dogs getting, puppies getting parvo when they attend puppy classes versus a group that didn't. And there was no difference between those two groups and their likelihood of getting the parvovirus. And I think it's probably because most people who take the time and the money to enroll their puppy in puppy classes are also getting their puppies vaccines. It's unlikely that an unvaccinated puppy is going to be allowed in class. You should definitely check with the dog trainer that runs your puppy classes that you're going to be attending and make sure they are checking vaccine records at every single puppy class. And puppies who are not up to date should not be allowed in class. So you can do both is the message, right? You can help your puppy to have the best chance of being behaviorally normal. And you also can make sure that your puppy is happy and healthy. Incredible information. So I think the biggest thing is while I see cases that are young puppies with parvovirus, to be quite honest, they're usually dogs that are rescued, that are, you know, brought up from the South. They have the stress of transportation. They haven't been fully vaccinated. And so I totally agree. It's so important that puppies be socialized, but you want to do due diligence and make sure it's a good, clean puppy training facility, that they require vaccines. And again, my best clientele who, you know, they do dog obedience, they do two levels of puppy obedience, they usually are coming in for vaccines. But I did want to reiterate to pet owners, remember, one or two vaccines does not protect your puppy or your kitten sufficiently, they need repeat boosters. So please make sure to work with your veterinarian or your local animal rescue or rescue group to make sure that your pet is appropriately up to date. Thank you so much for some fantastic information. Again, our goal as veterinarians, emergency veterinarians and veterinary behaviorists is to make sure that your dog or your cat is not stressed out when they go to the veterinarian, whether or not that's to your family veterinarian or to the ER vet. 
when in doubt, talk to your veterinarian about sedating prior to visitation and make sure to provide a low stress environment and contact your veterinarian or your veterinary behaviorist for more information. Now, Dr. Radasta, I know you have fantastic pet owner information on your website. Do you mind just mentioning your website and your book or any resources that pet owners can go to? Absolutely. So our book is From Fearful to Fear Free. And if I may say so myself, it is a darn good book. I mean, it really explains to you exactly what's going on with your anxious or fearful dog. And it gives you all the recipes you need to work through those problems. So it's a pretty cool book. And on our website, which is flvetbehavior.com, we have a ton of articles for dogs and cats and some for birds as well. We have a veterinarian side for your veterinarian. So if your vet says, I don't know anything about behavior, say, hey, go to this website, click on the veterinarian's page because we have education on both sides. So pretty much anything that you will need to find, hopefully you can find on our webpage or find a link to it, another site that has the information that you need. Wonderful. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. A huge shout out and thank you to Dr. Radasta. Again, that website is short for Florida Vet Behavior. So it's www.flvetbehavior.com. She has fantastic resources for pet parents and veterinarians. And if you're interested in a telemedicine consultation, have your veterinarian reach out to her. You can literally find that on floridavetbehavior.com, veterinary telemedicine consults. And again, make sure to check out that book. You can order it on Amazon, From Fearful to Fear Free, a positive program to free your dog from anxiety, fears, and phobias. Sounds like I need that book for myself. (laughs) With that, we're out of time. And we wanted to thank Dr. Lisa Radasta and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.